0: Good morning. So glad that you guys have joined us. Will you stand as we begin uh, worship this morning? We're going to start here in Psalm 138. And if you would read with me. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things your name and your word, amen. Father God, we come uh, before you this morning um, thankful for all the great things that you have done for us, the least of which is not sending your son to die for us. That is an amazing truth, that we get to rest in this morning, that we were sinners. You saw a need for us to be reconciled to you, and your son came and humbled himself as a man living a perfect life and dying for our sins and resurrecting three days later so that now you've defeated sin, and we stand in your victory today. And because of that, we worship you. We lift your name up, and we exalt you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Generous God, giver of life,
1: you know just what we need. You've
0: heard our prayer and you will provide just what we need
2: I know who you are I know who you are our God is the giver of life our God is the strength in the life Together. you are the giver of life. Amen.
3: Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat uh, here for just a few moments as we begin our time together today. Uh, Good morning to those of you who are here with us. Uh, Good afternoon to those of you who are going to watch this online Uh, later today. We want to take just a moment and welcome you this morning. Uh, If you're our guest, you're here with us today for the first time. Uh, My name is Taylor Burgess, serve here at Cross as lead pastor, and we're honored that you're here to worship with us today. And uh, there's just a couple things I want to be able to highlight as we begin our time together this morning. Uh, First, if you are first-time guest, we hope you stopped at that tent uh, that's outside on your way in this morning. Uh, And if you didn't, we really want you to stop there on the way out because we'd love to meet you and be able to say thank you for Uh, joining in with us together today, get to know you, your story, your family a little bit, and uh, help you learn about how you can get connected within the Cross Community uh, family. For everybody, as you came in this morning, you should have found one of these Next Steps cards on your seats. Uh, These are important because these are a great tool for getting connected within our church body particularly if you have prayer requests that you want to share, um, just things that you'd like to share with our staff, with our prayer team, we come around these um, every single week. So um, so a prayer team in particular just does a a fantastic job keeping track of these, following up with these. So um, if that's you, fill out your prayer need this morning, and there's a box that's out in the lobby uh, where you can drop off these completed Next Steps cards. Um, Also use these if you're interested in uh, getting engaged and volunteering with a ministry team here, um, supporting our our local ministry um, through your service to the local church, or getting connected to a community. Community group. This is the the best way, the easiest way to get connected within our church family is by joining a community group. Um, even uh, throughout COVID nineteen, most of our community groups have remained connected. Many of them just did online Zoom meetings for a few months. Uh, most have uh, started to reconvene, come back together. Um, we believe that every single person who's part of our church family should be connected to a community group, and we want to help you take that step because that's the best way to get connected uh, within our church. So uh, use this next steps card this morning. Fill that out. Drop it on the box. Uh, that's in the lobby on your way out this morning. For those of you who are watching online later today, there's a uh, an online Next Steps form that's linked to this video. You can also go to our website, crosscommunity.org. Uh, as you get to the homepage, there's a box that says Next Steps, and you just scroll down to contact us and fill out your online Next Steps form there. We'll be following up with uh, you throughout the course of the week. Um, last uh, piece I want to highlight this morning is our giving. We, we believe that it is a privilege uh, to give of the resources that the Lord has entrusted to us um, to support the work and the ministry of the local church. And we we are incredibly grateful for how you as a church family have always generously and faithfully given regardless of the season and the circumstance. And because you have so faithfully continued to give throughout the spring, you know, we, we didn't get to do a lot of things this summer that we would normally do. Uh, but two things that are happening um, over the next couple of weeks, one is virtual vacation Bible school. This is for all of our pre K elementary age kids. I know a number of you already signed up for this already. It starts this week, um, but there's still time to get engaged with that. So if you want to go to our uh, kids' ministry website is crosskids.org. Um, you can go there, go to the parent resources tab. You can register there. Uh, leandra, our children's minister, is also here this morning. If you're here in person, you can uh, feel free to reach uh, touch base with her. Those of you watching online, her email is leandra at crosscommunity.org. We'd love to get you uh, parents resourced for virtual VBS in your home uh, this week. And then also, our student ministry summer retreat is coming up. This is an in town retreat that they're going to do uh, because they weren't able to go on their summer camp trip. The cost is only $55. And again, church, these things are possible because you have continued to faithfully give and support our local church. So, thank you for how uh, generously you continue to um, to support. So, a couple ways you can do that. One is by giving online. That's where the majority of our giving is done. Our website's crosscommunity.org, and you can uh, go there, set up an online donation. It's very easy to set up. For those of you in person this morning, uh, we also do have giving envelopes available out in the lobby if you want to give by cash or check to Cross Community Church. Uh, thank you so much for how faithfully you give as we continue forward our mission to preach the gospel and make disciples, which we're going to be doing this. Morning morning as we continue walking uh, through Psalm chapter 23. So uh, that being said, again, we're so glad to have you here this morning. Grateful for those of you who are going to be joining us online later today. Uh, let's stand together and let's continue this morning in worship. Even
0: though i of the shadow of death your perfect love is casting out fear and even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life I won't
2: turn back I know you are near and I won't fear no need
1: I'll mm-hmm. see mm-hmm.
0: 42 begins as a deer pants for flowing streams. so my so pants my soul for you oh god my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall i come and appear before god and my tears have been my food day and night while well, they say to me all the day long where is your god but numerous times during this psalm the psalmist writes you know how much trouble he's in, and he, he comes back to this multiple times. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And we don't fake it till we make it, but sometimes we have to remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done for us. We know that he is with us, he is present, and he is never leaving us. And so we can sing these words that he will never let go of us, and we can continue to praise him from now until the end of time, because he is the same today as he will be tomorrow. It's the same as he was before. Amen? So we're going to sing these words, he'll never let go, okay?
4: Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Russell Schaefer. I get the privilege to serve as an elder here across the community, and we are honored. And we're going to read from Psalm chapter 23. This is verses 1 through 4. Would you read with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray. Lord God, thanks that, um, that you're our provider, that you're our, our protector, um, and that you, that you meet our needs. Thank you, God, for giving us rest. Uh, in a time of, of turmoil, thank you, God, that um, that you restore our souls and that you lead us in paths of righteousness, God, for your glory. Thank you, God, that um, even though we're walking in in you know what what some would consider desolate times, God, we fear no evil. We thank you for that um, for that faith that combats that fear, and we thank you that you meet us in this time with it. And God, we thank you even now that that your correction, um, the word says your rod and your staff, they comfort us. So God, just continue to mold us and change us. We want to look more like you, and, uh, and we're grateful that you're doing that in us. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Y'all can have a seat.
3: If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 23. Uh, if you're not there already, and if you are here today with us for the first time, watching online for the first time, for the last few weeks as a church family, we have been walking verse by verse through the 23rd Psalm. And uh, a few weeks ago, I've been trying to remind us each week, it gave us a challenge as we started this message series, that if you've not already, I want to encourage you and challenge you to memorize Psalm chapter 23, Uh, with everything that's been happening in our world, in our lives, our community, our nation over the last several months, the truth uh, that we want implanted at the forefront of our minds is that regardless of the circumstances, we can fear no evil because it's the Lord who is our shepherd and he's with us. So last week uh, we saw in verse three that the Lord leads us on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And this is good news for us, because what it shows us is that God has put his own name and reputation on the line in our salvation, and, and this gives us the confidence that he's never going to leave us or forsake us or, or let us go. And, uh, man, I can tell you that just through both preparing these messages and preaching over the last few weeks, uh, I think my favorite component has been seeing how each one of these small, short stanzas just comes alive uh, throughout the grand narrative of Scripture. So even though we're just in one verse at a time pretty much each week, it's been amazing just to see how these themes are carried out in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the words of Jesus through the, uh, the expression and the lives of God's people all across the ages. And so even though we're, we're centered on just these one verse, uh, there's a single verse each week typically, um, it's been amazing to look at so much other Scripture that brings it all to light. So uh, just like we've done the previous weeks, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. And so my, encouragement is always just jot down some of these scripture references because uh, we're just not going to have time to break all of them down in depth here, but that's what community groups are for. So uh, take notes, write these things down, and then let that come alive in your conversation um, as you gather with your community groups through the week. So today... um, we're gonna continue along this same theme, the Lord being our shepherd, he's the one that's leading us along. And today we're gonna to see that we can just walk fearlessly under the guidance of his protection. A um, couple weeks ago, I was talking to my grandparents who are both in their late 80s. And I was on the phone with my grandmother, just kind of checking in on her, just in, in light of everything that's been happening. And um, and she just told me very honestly, very transparently while we were talking on the phone. She said, Taylor, she said, this is as scared as I've ever been in my life. And that was, I thought, saying a lot because my grandmother lived through Depression-era America. She saw World War II. I mean, they've seen every American conflict, great American conflict, this side of World War I. They saw the turbulence of the 60s and the 70s, saw 9-11. And yet what she's seen this year, she said, has left her more afraid than any point in time in her life. She said, it's not even so much for me. It's a fear that I have for you It's fear that I have for my great-grandchildren, for my great-great-grandchildren so that I just don't even recognize at all the world that we're living in anymore. And, And this has been a common theme for us over these last few weeks. And why it is I wanted to spend six weeks anchored in this text is because so many of the events of this year have driven us to live in fear. And the people of God, I believe right now, more than in any other time in our generation, we need to demonstrate and to show to the world what it looks like to live lives, not that are marked by fear, but lives that are marked and driven by faith. But you know, I think if we're, we're all just being completely honest, I mean, if we were just being, being completely honest, um, we could have it our way. If we had a choice, we would probably skip ahead to the other side of all this, am I right? Like, we, we would probably prefer that we not be gathered together. It's, it's hard to believe. I mean, there's about 70 people in this room. That's, that's the maximum we're allowed to have in this room. You know, normally on a Sunday morning, we'd have three times as many people packed into this room, and uh, we're in here, but we're wearing masks, you know, and like, it just, it's just not the same, and we, we, we have this conversation. You probably have this conversation with a lot of people. It's it's just not quite the same, and it's, and it's hard. If there's one conversation I know that I have frequently with others and an expression that I've used very commonly myself as someone who's a creature of habit is that uh, I, I'm ready for things to get back to normal. That's what I find myself saying a lot. That's what I hear others saying a lot. I'm ready to get past the uncertainty. I want to get past the frustration. I want to get past the restrictions. I want to get past the sickness. I want to get past the closures. I just want things to get back to normal. But have we considered that for followers of Jesus Christ, what we have actually historically called normal is not intended to be normal? Have we considered, just in light of the truth of Scripture, that for followers of Jesus Christ, normal is supposed to look a lot more like trial and tribulation than it is rest and relaxation. When we see that the testimony of God's Word, and we see the action and the movement of God's people all throughout history, all throughout the centuries, it's abundantly clear that we're intended to walk in some level of difficulty. We're intended to exist in at least some level of difficulty. Conflict for, for many believers, if not most believers across the century, normal often looks like persecution. Normal often looks like poverty. Normal often looked like being in the minority. Normal often looks like pain and suffering and difficulty. It was through death and suffering and persecution that the church was born. It's been through death, suffering, and persecution that the church has sustained. And it will be through death and suffering and persecution that the church will enter in to eternal glory with Jesus Christ. But what we're gonna see today in verse four is that no matter what we face, regardless of what we face in this life, even if we face death itself, we can walk fearlessly in life because our shepherd stands victoriously over death. No matter what we face, no matter what we encounter, no matter what we come up against, we truly can live as people without fear in the victory of a resurrected Jesus. So let's read again this morning from Psalm 23, verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So let's see first here from verse one that his path involves conflict. His path involves conflict. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As shepherds led their flock from pasture to pasture, valleys could be extremely dangerous places for the sheep because it was a place where flash floods could quickly emerge, predators could be more easily concealed, thieves had plenty of places to hide, and it was a lot harder for the shepherd to see the entire flock in the same way that he would be able to see them in the open field. And yet oftentimes travel through a valley was unavoidable because that was the path that led to the next green pasture. So the shepherd would lead on because he knew what was on the other side. A valley was a place in a desert land where uh, deep, dark shadows could be cast. It could be difficult to have a, a clear line of sight. So when David reflects on walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he seems to be making a parallel between the sin and the darkness that's constantly surrounding us. In the same way that a shepherd is leading sheep through danger, for us, a valley can mean trouble quickly emerging when we least expect it. Our lives, we have sin and temptation awaiting at every turn. We have Satan who's trying to draw us away from the Lord. Physical death surrounds us at all times and is ultimately going to come to us all. And yet it's not around the valley, but through the valley that the shepherd leads on. I think this is critical today for us to understand because if there's one area where the Western church is woefully lacking in our understanding, it's in having a healthy theology of suffering. What's it mean to suffer well for the glory of God? And I think over the last 50 years in particular, following Jesus has become synonymous in popular evangelical culture with being comfortable. The promise, uh, the call to follow Jesus is conflated with promises of health. It's promised with of wealth, of material comforts. The, the prosperity gospel that's being exported from the United States to other nations in particular, it's saying, come to Jesus and give him your money and you'll never be sick again. You won't get cancer. You'll be protected from coronavirus. He'll give you more money in return. He'll give you the house you want. He'll give you the car you want. He'll give you the job that you want, the relationship you want, because he's a good father and he loves to give good gifts to his children. And the problem is that there is just enough Bible in that to make it sound believable. It's, it's possible just to take these little portions of scripture and be able to pull together a quasi gospel that sounds like good news, but ultimately in its end leads to destruction and death. We need to understand never once in the teachings of Jesus, never one time, never once through the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, does God promise material blessing for those who follow him. It's never promised to us. Religious freedom, it is never promised to us. It's a grace that we've been able to enjoy as a nation, but it's, at the end of the day, something that is never promised to those who were followers of Jesus. If we go to the actual words of Christ and we see the consistent witness of scripture, what we find are not promises of health and of wealth and material comfort, but promises of conflict and trouble and persecution. This is Jesus sending out his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He tells them, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you ever, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say or what you are to for what you are to say will be given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. You will never hear Joel Osteen preach that verse, ever because that doesn't fit the narrative, because that doesn't sell, because that doesn't look good on coffee cups. And yet this is what Jesus is showing us is a guarantee for those who seek to follow him. What does he promise his disciples? Does he promise them health? Does he promise abundance of possessions? Does he promise material things? No, he says, you'll be delivered to courts. You'll be flogged. You'll be whipped and beaten and scourged. You'll be dragged before government leaders. You'll be, have family members who want to deliver other family members over to death. We will be hated by all for the sake of his name. But it's not just the words of Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, that this is known informally in scripture to us as the hall of faith. It's just recounting the deeds of many of the heroes, particularly of the Old Testament. And this is their story, that the people of God, the anointed of God, the prophets of God, says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The apostle Paul recounts his own experience of suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. This is what Paul went through. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less once. He was whipped, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger. I think you get the general idea for Paul there. In toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all. The churches. The Apostle Paul coming to the end of his life, he doesn't mince words as he's passing on this understanding to Timothy, who is a young pastor. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 10, he tells Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Conflict is the regular experience of those who follow Christ. That is normal, that that's what should be normal as we follow Jesus. Jesus anticipates this in the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at this passage very briefly a couple weeks ago from Matthew 5. Jesus says towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. So if we pursue, if we hunger for, if we thirst for the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ, in that we will find satisfaction. We'll find ultimate, total, complete, eternal satisfaction in Jesus Christ. That's a great promise. But then skip down a few verses in the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew 5, 10 through 12. And listen to what Jesus says here. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted, why? For righteousness sake. Who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's tie this together. Psalm chapter 23, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But then Matthew 5.10, we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. So the Lord will lead us in the path of righteousness, and we tie that together, the words of Jesus, and understanding that path will run through valleys. That path will involve pain. That path is gonna involve discomfort. That path is gonna involve conflict and persecution and peril. Satisfaction in Jesus walks hand in hand with persecution for Jesus. Church, what makes our faith beautiful, what makes it amazing, what causes it to stand apart from what any other religious system in this world has to offer is not that we live lives that are removed from suffering. You and I have been given something that enables us to rejoice through suffering. This is what sets us apart. Not that we don't have pain, not that we don't have trouble, not that we don't have persecution, but the fact that in spite of it all, we can still have joy. We have a bulletproof, indestructible joy that nothing in this world can take away. That's why even in the midst of the persecution and the suffering we face, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you? This is the testimony of God's own prophets and apostles. This is the testimony of his disciples. It continues to be the testimony of, of countless hundreds and, and thousands of martyrs who continue even today to lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. I read a story a couple weeks ago from June, uh, June 2018. It was a man named Kande Munda. who's was a, a follower of Christ who lived in India and he was attacked in his own home by a mob. This is essentially a lynching mob and he was murdered for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And as he was being brutally beaten, his wife was running from neighbor to neighbor. Many of these neighbors were their own flesh and blood family. And in spite of that, everyone refused to help. None of them wanted to be identified with him because they were followers of Christ. But right before they took him from his home, his his wife recounted this story. And she said that he knew their lives were in danger and that uh, the men who were coming had bad intentions. And um, he told her that he might be killed, but he assured her before he was taken to remain strong and never give up faith in Jesus Christ, even if they took his life. That's what sets our faith apart. It's, it's not that we have a life free of pain. It's not that we have a life free of trouble and of suffering. It's the fact that we can experience these things and know that we have lost nothing even if we lose life itself because we've gained everything in Christ. We've gained it all in Jesus. There's no question for those who seek to faithfully follow Jesus, the path will be full of conflict. We don't go around the valley. We go through the valley of the shadow of death. But make no mistake, church, here's the good news. We will make it through. We're going to make it through. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. So his path involves conflict. And second, his presence inspires confidence. We're never promised that the path is going to be without trouble, but we are promised that we're never going to walk this path alone. This is one of the most frequently spoken commands of the Lord in all of scripture. The command is, Fear not. And what is the reason for our not fearing? For I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Now, uh, back in the beginning of this year, you you may remember this, maybe not. You know, we all tend to have kind of like a pre corona, post corona brain, I I think. But uh, you may remember way back in January, which feels like 10 years ago, uh, we started walking through the Great Commission verse by verse. We spent about six weeks studying the Great Commission and we looked at just how daunting the task of the Great Commission is. Well, what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. He says, make disciples of all nations. So every man, woman, and child, every tribe, ch- tongue, and nation, we are working relentlessly to the best of our power, strength, and our ability to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then he says, baptize them. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna have them publicly declare their faith in Jesus Christ and their allegiance to Jesus Christ alone, which as we can see in different cultural contexts of the world today, very much remains a risky declaration. And beyond that, it's to teach these new disciples everything that the Lord has commanded. So as it stands today, there are still nearly 5 billion people in our world who do not profess faith in Christ. About half of those have limited to no access to the gospel. So if we look at the Great Commission in our own strength, if we look at it through the lenses of our own ability, it's inevitably gonna lead us to the place where we wave the white flag of helplessness and despair. We just can't do it all on our own. That's why after giving us the plan of the Great Commission, Jesus leaves us with the promise. And what's the promise? I'm with you. And how long is he with us for? Always. To the end of the age. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He's not left us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death alone. Second Timothy again was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and Paul is writing him an encouragement to step boldly into his calling. He knows Timothy's young pastor. There's a number of challenges that he's going to have to face within the context of leading this church. So, Second Timothy one, verses six through seven, Paul writes him: For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, and of love, and of self-control. Paul's challenging Timothy. He says, listen, if you're afraid, this is not of the Lord because the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear. The Lord has not given you a spirit of indifference, of apathy. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. He's saying, if God has gifted you, he's sparked something within you. Now fan into flame the gift that has been given you by the Holy Spirit. He's challenging him, boldly step without fear into the calling that the Lord has entrusted you with because he's the one that's called you. He's the one that's equipped you. He's the one that's gifted you and he's the one ultimately who's going to go with you. About um, five years ago, this, this month, actually, I was thinking about this this morning, five years ago, uh, the decision had just been made, officially, that in January of 2017, a new church called Cross Community Church was going to launch in Beaufort, South Carolina, and there were only about 10 people um, that knew this, and so this was uh, very much under the radar. The announcement came officially later that uh, fall that we were uh, going to be stepping out to, to plant this church and um, you know, if I'm being completely honest with you, when I got to that point in time that summer, it came time to to make the decision: Are we in this, or is this or is this going to happen here? Is it not going to happen here? Is it going to happen somewhere else? When we we stepped into it, I was honestly in a season of life coming out of a season where uh, my prayer life had just been really stagnant. I mean, in in some ways, was almost non-existent. It just felt very dry. It felt very forced. Uh, the times I did go before the Lord in, in prayer, and as I I sat down with a friend who's a pastor, who's also been a mentor and a and a counselor, so he was helping me uh, kind of discern this decision: Is this the Lord's leading or not, he, he, he just asked this question very, very simply. He said, Taylor, what are you doing in your life right now that requires you to be completely dependent on the Lord? And, and to be honest, at that point in time, I, I didn't have a good answer. I was serving in ministry, but I was in, I was in student ministry. I'd been doing that for about 10 years. That, man, that was my comfort zone. It was tried. It was tested. It was proven. I was good at it. I was loving it. I was enjoying it. I wasn't even necessarily looking to do something different. But the bottom line for me is that that was my comfort zone. It was something that had come to a place that I could do in my own strength, something that I could do in my own power. And as a result, I wasn't living a life that was dependent upon the Lord. And that changed very quickly in July of 2015. Because I can confidently tell you that there's seldom been a morning over the past five years that I have not woken up and the first thing that come to my mind be something that makes me say, Lord, how in the world am I gonna do this? I mean, good grief. Just when I thought launching the church in 2017 was gonna be hard, here came 2020. I thought the hard part was over, y'all. And this has driven me to this new place of dependence. So I just wanna ask you, Like, what are you doing in your life today? What what are you walking in? What work have you committed yourself to that would be impossible without the power and presence of God? I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why so many of us struggle in prayer. It's because we're not attempting, we're not doing anything that requires us to be dependent on the power of God. And I just wanna ask you this morning, what would you attempt for the Lord if you knew that you absolutely could not fail? What would you attempt? Church, the very same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave lives within you. It lives within me. It's alive within us today and we never go anywhere. The Lord never leads us anywhere that he wasn't willing to go himself. Our shepherd has walked this way before because at the cross, Jesus took the sin and death that surrounded us, and he took it upon himself. He suffered and he died in our place, but the good news of the gospel is that the story did not end in the valley of the crucifixion. The story ended with the victory of the resurrection. He can lead us through the valley of the shadow of death because he has walked this way before. So we walk with the confidence that he's going to see us through. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 10 to his disciples as he's still encouraging them, challenging them to walk in faith, to not live in fear. He says to them, Matthew 10, 28, he says, "'Do not fear those who kill the body "'but cannot kill the soul. "'Rather, fear him who can destroy "'both soul and body and death.'" Now, listen to this. This is what Jesus, in essence, is saying to his disciples. He says, listen, guys, the worst they can do is kill you. You might hear that, and you're like, that sounds pretty bad, actually, Jesus, the the worst they can do is is, is kill you. And the reason he's saying this is because for the believer, death isn't death. For the believer in Jesus Christ, death is life. So Jesus said, look, don't fear these guys. The worst they can do is kill you, which will lead you to the life of ultimate joy, satisfaction, and pleasure in me. The worst thing that could happen is you could die, and that's not the worst thing that could happen for us because as believers in Jesus Christ, it's when we die that we're raised to new life in him. And so Jesus says, don't fear those who can take your life. The worst they can do is dispatch you immediately and eternally to me. That's the worst thing that can possibly happen to us. So we live fearlessly. We take bold risk for the advance of the gospel and we live in the confidence of knowing that even if we walk through the valley, we're never going to walk alone. Our shepherds walked this way before. He himself has gone through the valley and he emerged in victory. John Ortberg has said, I think very well, he said, the decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. So I just wanna ask all of us this morning, what are you willing to risk? What will you do? What comfort zone will you step out of so that you can live and walk in the place of total and utter dependency within the power of the Holy Spirit and the calling that God has entrusted with your life? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. He goes on the second part of verse four there to say, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So his path involves conflict, his presence inspires confidence, and last, his protection invites comfort. His protection invites comfort. It's been somewhat debated whether or not David is referring to two different tools when he says, rod and staff, or whether he's actually referring to a staff-length rod. But uh, in either case, the implications are really the same. In Hebrew, a rod could mean a king's ruling scepter. It could mean a weapon. It could mean a javelin. It could mean just a walking stick. So whether it's uh, two separate tools or just some sort of double, you know, ancient Swiss army knife, there were really a variety of uses for it. And so uh, typically, a shepherd's staff was a symbol of authority. It was something, think about Lord of the Rings fans like Gandalf with his staff, you know, something that just sort of set him apart uh, from everybody else. And that's really the, the effect here with the shepherd is that that staff represented that he was the one who was overseeing the flock. And we see this as a symbol of authority in the book of Exodus when Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, what is Moses carrying in his hand? He's, he's got a staff, right? And so that's what he's holding as he uh, leads the nation of Israel. Now, uh, for a shepherd, they would have a U-shaped crook at the end of their staff. You've probably seen something like this before, and this was a really helpful tool for drawing sheep back to himself as uh, they were walking through a valley. If one started to wander off one direction or the other, it was easy for him uh, to pull them back in. And so that was typically the effect of a staff. It was a symbol of authority that recognized him as a shepherd, and he used it as an instrument uh, to keep his sheep close. But the rod had a couple of uses. The first use of the rod was to be for defense. This was something that could be used to fight off predators or thieves. Again, valleys were places where they could easily be hidden and it wasn't always easy for the shepherd to see where they were. So he was always prepared if necessary to guard and defend his sheep. It could be used for defense, but the rod could also be used for discipline. If you had a sheep that was was just stubborn, it was constantly drifting away from the rest of the flock, if it was constantly running away from the rest of the flock, oftentimes a shepherd would break the leg of a sheep to, to teach it the lesson that it can't continue to wander away. And he does this out of love because he, he wants uh, to make sure his sheep are staying close to him. And so uh, if there was sheep that was being unruly, you know, just causing drama with all the other sheep. it might, might knock it on the side with, with his rod. And so he used it for defense. He also used it for discipline. And from both the rod and the staff, David, who had spent a lot of his life as a shepherd, he finds comfort in these things. He takes comfort in the fact of knowing that the Lord will draw him back when he begins to fall away, which David ultimately would. We know his story. David fell into very gross, very open, very public, horrible immorality. And even in the midst of that, we see the picture in Psalm 51 of his repentance, of his coming back to the Lord, of the Lord restoring him and drawing him back. But he also takes comfort in the Lord's discipline. His son Solomon would go on to write in Proverbs chapter three. He said, my son, Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. What is the discipline of the Lord? What does it look like for the Lord to discipline us? You know, oftentimes it's just that overwhelming feeling of conviction because of our sin. We know that we've fallen away from the Lord. We know that we're walking in in rebellion. We know that we're living a life that's contrary to what God desires for us. And so sometimes it's just that overwhelming feeling of conviction Uh, It could be a period of time where the Lord is closing doors of opportunity. That there's maybe something that we say that we're wanting to do for his name and for his kingdom or for the church. The Lord just continues to close those doors of opportunity because we won't deal honestly with our sin. Because we've got pride, because we've got arrogance, because there's been rebellion in our hearts, because there's secret sin that we're harboring behind the scenes. It could look like just living with the natural consequences that come as the results of our sinful actions. So why does the Lord discipline us? It's because he loves us, because he loves us. We understand this to be true. As hard as it is for us to experience these things oftentimes in our lives, the conviction of our sin, closed doors of opportunity, dealing with the natural consequences of our actions, the Lord still closes these doors, and he still extends his discipline to us because he loves us. And we know this. We know this because we we don't look at any parent who refuses to discipline their child. We don't call that loving. The reason we discipline our children is because we love them. Now, it's uh, absolutely true. Our discipline as parents should always be administered in a way that helps our children, not in a way that harms our children. But we have to teach children from an early age that actions have consequences because they don't learn this lesson. Ultimately, it will lead to their destruction. So because we love them, we show them discipline. We know that that's what's best for them. And the apostle Paul says in Romans 2 that it's actually God's kindness that leads us to repentance, The reason we have that conviction, the reason we experience those closed doors is because God in his kindness is trying to draw us back to him. So listen, even if you're here today and there's sin that's in your life, there's sin that you're harboring secretly behind the scenes or maybe even something that's publicly unknown and you're feeling the guilt and the shame of that and it's just crashing down on top of you, understand that that is God in his kindness drawing you back to himself, Letting you experience the emptiness of your action, letting you experience the weight and and the frustration of what happens when you continue falling into sin. Because in leading you to repentance, he's leading you to the place where ultimately you can find forgiveness and restoration and salvation. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Under we we come under the banner of his protection. We we come under his banner with the confidence of knowing that the Lord as we're drifting away, is going to draw us back. That if necessary, he'll extend discipline so that we can once again experience his love and his forgiveness. But under his protection, for the sake of his name and for the sake of his kingdom, the promise of our salvation is that death is not going to have the final word. It's not. I love how Paul goes on to ask in Romans chapter eight. It's just sort of this open-ended rhetorical question. He asked the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer to that question technically is everyone, but Paul's point basically there is who cares? If God's for us, who can be against us? Nothing, Paul says in that passage, sin, death, hell, or the grave itself can separate us from the love of God. And so I just wanna ask you this morning as we begin to close, what is currently surrounding you that has you walking and living and operating in fear? What is happening in your life? What's happening in our world? What's happening in your job? What's happening with the sin that's in your heart? What is happening in your life that's keeping you from seeing the good shepherd, that's keeping you from walking fearlessly in the confidence of knowing that you are under his authority? And do you trust that the good shepherd is gonna lead you through the valley? Have you forgotten that there is absolutely nothing you are facing in this life that has not already been overcome by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? There is no sin that's in your life that cannot be conquered through the power of his blood. Absolutely nothing that we're holding on to. And so for others, I wanna ask this morning, are you living your life in a way? Have you stepped into anything that requires that you live in a place of dependency on the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you living in your own strength? Could it be that your prayer life is suffering and that it's waning because you want to live in normal? You wanna live in the place that's comfortable. You want to live where you never have to step outside of the boundaries of what's familiar and what comes easy and what comes natural. And, And listen, here's the reality. Like, I can't tell you what that is this morning. I can't figure that out for you. I had to figure that out for myself in my own life. But this is what I can tell you this morning. If where you're living as a follower of Jesus is in a zone of comfort, that according to God's word is not supposed to be normal. That's not supposed to be our normal experience because our calling is not to comfort. Our calling is to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. And you can't do that in a comfort zone. It's impossible to follow Jesus without denying yourself. It's impossible to follow Jesus without denying your sin, without dying to yourself, taking up a cross and following Christ. So we take risks. We do things that are impossible in our own strength. I love how Hudson Taylor was the great missionary to China. He he said this once. He said, I have found that there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. Then it is done. What will you step into? What will you commit to? that requires you to live in dependency of the Holy Spirit? What would you attempt for the kingdom if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you step out in faith and do for the Lord if you knew you couldn't fail? I just wonder how would we share the gospel? How how would we serve the needs of our community, serve the needs of the church? What would you sell? Where would you be willing to live? Where would you move? Where would you go? What would you attempt for the Lord if you knew you couldn't fail? We're not supposed to live in a comfort zone. We're not supposed to live in a place of complacency. When we follow Jesus Christ, when we take up the cross and follow Jesus Christ, in this life, we should expect and anticipate that that's going to be a path of discomfort. But we carry the cross with the comfort of knowing not only will Jesus carry it with us, he has already carried it for us. We're not doing this in our own strength. No matter what challenge you might face, he's going to see us through to the end. And it's because of his constant presence in our lives that we can truly fear no evil. Our shepherd has walked this way before. And he did not enter into the valley and stay there in defeat. He emerged in victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave so that there's absolutely nothing in this life that can prevent us from walking confidently in faith through the work of Jesus Christ. So I just want you to bow your heads with me here for for just a moment. And um, as we we reflect and we we begin to close in prayer and uh, begin to wrap up our time this morning, again, I just want to continue driving home that question. What was the Lord calling you to do today? Where where have you just been sitting in in the comfort zone? You know, for some, it it could just be as simple as taking a a next step in baptism. Maybe you're a follower of Christ. and You've never done that before and you've never taken that step because you wanna live in the comfort zone you don't, you don't like the idea of having to get out and publicly declare your faith in Jesus. Maybe it's something as simple as that. Maybe it, it looks more specific, like being more wholeheartedly devoted to the mission of the church, becoming a member of the church, of, of investing yourself here or another local church as the Lord may lead you. It might just be sharing the gospel with someone who lives next door to you, who is across the street from you, a coworker at work, a family member, someone in your own home even. As we we get older, as we grow in maturity in Christ, sometimes we we grow actually in immaturity. We we learn about the reasons why people don't like our faith and don't wanna listen to Jesus, and so that becomes a source of fear. We convince ourselves no one wants to hear, no one's willing to listen, they're not actually going to believe. What would you attempt for the Lord if you knew that you couldn't fail? Or today, maybe it's just as simple as entrusting your life to the good shepherd. It's turning from your sin. It's calling on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, fully surrendering yourself to him. And listen, no matter what that is for, for you this morning, again, if you're in here, whether you're watching this online, we've made that Next Steps card available to you. Communicate that to us. If give your life to Jesus. You wanna take a step in baptism, become a member. You wanna start serving. You wanna get engaged in outreach here locally. You just wanna sit down and talk with somebody. What is the Lord leading me to do with my life? And just want uh, some direction and guidance and wisdom and, and discerning the Lord's will. We would love to be that for you. Use that Next Steps card, communicate with us. Let us follow up with you and serve you. So Father, this morning I ask that we would submit and surrender all of our fears to you. Father, we would live in the confidence of knowing that you have overcome all things. Through the victory of your son, Jesus Christ, the death has been defeated. We can walk boldly and confidently through that valley even as it surrounds us, knowing that ultimately it has no authority, dominion, or say on the lives of those who are yours to help us to walk boldly and confidently in that calling, to operate without fear as we're led by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, will you purge our hearts and convict us of sin, that we would find comfort even in your discipline, knowing that in repentance, as we turn to you, as we're forgiven, as we're healed, as we're set free from sin, that we forever will come under the guidance and protection of the shepherd who will draw us to himself, loves us enough to correct us when we're wrong. So, Father, we just ask simply this morning in faith, will you keep us close to you? Help us to live boldly and to not walk in fear of everything that's happening in our world or anything that could happen in our world, but to live confidently in the faith that comes from faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, be glorified as we sing, as we go today, Lord, will you Use these words to sanctify us, to equip us to take your gospel to the ends of the earth. Be glorified as we go from this place today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's stand together and sing as we close this morning. truth. Amen. Uh, You can have a seat here for just a moment as we uh, prepare to close things out. Uh, Today there's a couple things uh, I just want to be able to uh, to highlight as we go. Again, if you um, uh, didn't hear during the welcome this morning, Cross Kids has virtual VBS uh, going this week as well. So parents, make sure you check that out online. Crosskids.org is that website. Go to the parent resources tab and uh, you can find all the information there. Leandra, our children's minister is also here um, as well. You can connect with her this morning. Those of you watching online, uh, her email is just leandra at crosscommunity.org. So feel free to reach out. We'd love to connect you to that. Again, student ministry retreat, There's summer retreats in town retreat coming up uh, July 24th, 26th. It's uh, only a $55 cost. And so again, uh, just thank you as a church family Again, how you faithfully continue to give. It's made these things possible. Uh, this summer. A couple big announcements we we do want to be able to highlight this morning. Uh, The first is that um, we've actually behind the, we've not really had time to share it all, but we've actually had a number of of staff transitions behind the scene. We brought some new staff on over the last uh, few weeks. And so we are, uh, presently, this is going to go public tomorrow. We're going to be hiring soon a part-time ministry assistant position. This is someone who's going to work primarily with Dustin Nally, our associate pastor. So this is going to be areas focused mostly on financial administration and uh, community group. And, and getting people connected to groups and things. So uh, that position is gonna post tomorrow, looking at about 12, 15 hours a week. Um, so check out our Facebook page online. We'll email that information out as well. Um, So if you are interested in applying, I want to give you as a church family a heads up on that um, as well, give you the opportunity. Dustin's here this morning. um, If you have questions about that or know someone who's interested, and then we'll begin receiving resumes um, throughout the course of of this week. Uh, Another uh, transition, a a sadder transition I want to be able to highlight um, this morning is uh, Mr. Chris Woodard. Um, I'm going to embarrass you guys a little bit. Would you you guys mind coming up here for just a second? At least you and Tiffany, maybe together. Um, Kiddos want to come too. That's great. Maybe not. and, And that's Okay, if you don't. But um, those of you who know uh, Chris and Tiffany, they've been with our church family now um, for a few years. Chris uh, serves active duty as a chaplain. He's been uh, at Parasite in the last couple of years, but Chris has also preached for us Sunday mornings. Uh, uh, three, four times, I think, over the last couple of years, and um, has served our church family so faithfully. Tiffany has uh, led on the worship team, and they have just been faithful members of the church since the day they walked through our doors, have been a tremendous um, blessing to to all of us. And so, um, Chris, if it's okay, um, I want to be able just to pray for you guys as you go this morning. Um, and so, church family, I'm just going to ask as they move on uh, to their uh, next duty station, would you just extend a hand uh, up this direction? This is just a show of support for them, as well as we commission them and we send them out uh, this morning. Father, I lift up uh, Chris and Tiffany and their family to you this morning. We are um, so grateful for them and for the blessing that they have been to our church family, Lord, and in the lives of literally countless hundreds, even thousands of Marine recruits who have come to faith in your son, Jesus Christ, through Chris's ministry here these last couple of years. We we thank you, Father, that you and your providence um, saw fit to bring them to our church family, a few years ago, Lord and Father, we know uh, this is never goodbye for for those who are in your kingdom, um, Father, but it is a uh, bittersweet. See you later. And um, Father, we we today, Lord, we send them out, we commission them, um, Lord, with sorrow and that we will miss them selfishly here, Lord, but with joy, knowing uh, that there will be great fruit that comes from uh, from where they go next, Lord. And and I just pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would uh, anoint Chris, Lord, you would continue to equip him as a messenger of the gospel, Lord, that you would use him as, uh, as an instrument for your name and for your glory in the lives of those who are serving our country. Um, Father, that you would guide each and every step of the way for them, Lord, that you would, as they go, surround them uh, with loving community of believers and and a church family where they can continue to invest and use their gifts uh, for your name and for your glory. Um, So, Father, would your blessing be upon their family this morning, on their children Uh, Lord, would they remain within your favor? Bless them and keep them as they go today, Lord. And uh, would we remain united in prayer for them and support um, as they move on this morning? Father, we love you, we praise you. Thank you for Chris, Tiffany, and for their family and for allowing us, Lord, to be blessed by their presence these last few years. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank the Woodard family for their time together here this morning? Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you, absolutely. Um, Well, well, that being said, let's um, go ahead and stand together uh, as we we close out our time. We'll say together our banner verse uh, from Psalm 45, 17, and then we will sing together as we close. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing.
0: have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Guys, we love you so much. It was so great to see you, and we can't wait to see you next week.